Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. You know how sometimes you see the title of a book and you just have to read it, like you need to know more about it? That's exactly what happened to me when I first heard of Jeanette McCurdy's new memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Like, that title? Immediately, I need to see what this is about. In the book, McCurdy reveals the dark and sometimes upsetting reality behind child stardom, and how more was happening behind the scenes than anybody knew when she was starring on the Nickelodeon shows that made her famous, iCarly and Sam and Cat, which co-starred Ariana Grande. So we talk about all of that and so much more. And honestly, it's one of my favorite chats I think I've done on this podcast. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back with Jeanette McCurdy. The Nickelodeon series iCarly was wildly popular, but for one of the show's stars, Jeanette McCurdy, more was happening behind the scenes than anybody knew. From a controlling and abusive mother to creatives and executives treating the young star inappropriately, McCurdy experienced it all. She details these things and more in her new memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, which is both honest and raw, but also incredibly unique and original. It's a memoir that is both funny and has a clear perspective, but it's just, it's just so good. McCurdy worked hard to get to a place in her life where she was able to share her story and be in a place where she could share her story. And honestly, you, me, and everyone else is the better for it because hidden in her story is something that a lot of us can relate to, that those traumas from our past don't have to dictate the person we are today. Influence it, sure, yeah, they're part of who we are, but they aren't the sum of it all. And I'll be honest, there are parts of McCurdy's story that I related to so much, and that's what I think is so great about her sharing her story. Even though it's a memoir from a child star, which I was not a child star, weaved so beautifully in the book, are those hard-earned life lessons that I think really anybody can relate to. Congratulations on the book. And I, I read the New York Times article this, today. I just saw it went out today. And that's so fantastic. It was so great. I'm so happy for you and your success. And like, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful to see it. So I just wanted to say congratulations before we get into it. Thank you so much. That's so nice yeah. of you. I appreciate it. Of course. And the book, I mean, the title of the book, it like... It is one of the most perfect titles for a book I have like seen in recent years in that it it I mean, and then having read the book and like it fits the tone of the book, both in terms of that it is a very serious memoir, but at the same time, it also is sometimes funny. And it's there's a there's a humor element to it. It's just a really fascinating title. Were you I mean, that's a vulnerable title, I think, to and a provocative title to, to, to call your book. Were you at all? concerned or worried about about the title did you ever did you have other titles in mind 
I did not have any other titles in mind and I wasn't concerned because I feel like it's a title that I earned in the writing of the book. I get that it's attention grabbing. I, I definitely wanted something that was provocative, but also very truthful. Yeah. And I think that anybody who reads the book, I hope that anybody who reads the book by the end of it will understand why I've chosen that title and, and be on board with the title. Um, but I, I appreciated your description. I think, you know, provocative and truthful is kind of exactly what I was going for. I wouldn't name it that if it was, I, I wouldn't say it flippantly, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what I find so, like I said, so interesting about the book is that like you do, I mean, I don't know. I, I know your work and, and I know, I don't know you obviously, but like, I know, I know like how your work has come over the years and everything, but in the book you come through so well in, in, in other memoirs, I'm thinking like, you know, Eat, Pray, Love is another one where you really feel the author and how they're describing their life to us in a way. But it's also, like I said, there are funny moments as well. There's a humor, there's a real life sort of casual cadence you have in how you write. And I want to know if you like, did, was that intentional to be as sort of not humorous, but like relaxed in sort of how you describe the story very sort of matter of factly? 100%. I definitely didn't want to um, come across to like trying to wax poetic or um, to wistful in any way. So I wanted to be really casual. And it's it's partially why I um, write it from the point of view of whatever age I'm at at the time, as opposed to just like reflecting on when I was six. Now I'm writing it as if I were a six year old in that in the opening chapter where I am six. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that you could feel kind of my my uh, personality through it. That's definitely something that I also wanted. And my um, my I think humor is such a coping mechanism for the tragedies of life. Yeah. And I definitely feel in my experience that there has absolutely been humor that's happening at the same time, often in the same room as something really tragic. Yeah. And so it would feel dishonest if, if it were just overly serious or overly comedic in a flippant way. Um, I think kind of trying to find that balance and that harmony between the two, it's definitely one of my main priorities when writing really anything. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, I start, so I started out in comedy and like for me, no kidding. yeah. And, and for me, one of the things was I, the only thing I've ever been really bit good at is talking. So this is why I do this, <laughs> but like, I started out in comedy as sort of an, as a way to work through a lot of childhood trauma. Un, I didn't know it at the time, but that's what I was doing. And yeah. I feel that in your book and I feel that in your recent work and the, you know, the one woman show you did a couple years ago, that's where the book sort of started and all of that. And it's so, it's so interesting to see you sort of, to see you in particular, because we know, no one knew who I was when I started in comedy, but we all know who you are. We know your history. There's that we can go watch it on Paramount Plus or whatever it is. Like we can, <laughs> we can watch your history. And sure, sure. was it, I mean, when you got to a place, a comfortable place to be able to talk about your past in a really honest way, were there nerves about sort of how other members of your family would react or how like people in your life would react to some of the stories you're sharing and how honest you're being? Mm, I wasn't nervous uh, with my family just because I have a great support system and my brothers, three older brothers. Um, I talk about them a, a bit in the book and our relationships are so strong and I have all always throughout my life just received so much love and support from them. So those are sort of my my foundational um, kind of key familial relationships. So whatever anybody else on the outskirts of the family yeah. thinks or feels, so be it. Um, really, my brother's opinions are the ones that that matter most to me. 
Um, and as for the kind of like public facing aspect, I, it was because I came from that child acting background where I think those people pleasing instincts are so entrenched. Um, they certainly were for me. It was really important for me to put my own preferences first in whatever I make. So, okay, do I like this? Do I believe in this? Um, am I willing to share this personally? And then um, I, I think there was also an element of just trusting that the right people would connect with the material. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so far I've, I've certainly experienced that. The, the, the way that I'm approached these days from people just walking on the street or what have you, it's a completely different experience than it used to be. And I'm extremely grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I always find, cause I don't talk to my father, my father's still alive, but I don't talk to him anymore because of mm -hmm. childhood trauma and abuse and all of that. And yeah. it's, I find it's really interesting when I'm in a setting with other adults, my age, you know, and I say, Oh yeah, I don't have a relationship with my father. I haven't talked to him since 97 or whatever it is. Like I, and they're shocked by it because a lot of people can't imagine not having a relationship with a parent that you grew up with that that guided you in your life in a lot of ways and as as you're telling the story and in the book you're talking about your mother and the the abuse but also the complicated relationship you had because it wasn't it, it isn't necessarily like the the typical story of abuse in a lot of ways it's a it's a unique story and i wanted to know like were you ever, did you ever feel like in writing it, you were able to relate to your mother more as you were writing the memoir? Did you feel, did you feel like you could understand her in a different way? Wow. What an insightful question. I, I did feel that a bit, you know, through the process of writing the book, I have um, grieved her different, differently. And mm. I certain grief, grief is absolutely not an aspect of my life in the way that it was once she first passed. And for those few years after her passing, it's been nine years now. Um, but I was able to, for so long, the grief was so complicated yeah. and I felt, um, I would feel angry that I felt grief because I felt she didn't deserve my grief. And I think she abused me. Why am I, how am I still able to feel this sorrow for this person, this devastation? And through writing the book, I was able to just sort of grieve her in the very simple way where I can miss her now. And it's just that I can just miss her and it's not, well, she doesn't deserve me to miss her. Well, but she abused me and why do I miss it wasn't it's not there's there's that over analytical piece I think has has fallen off a bit and I truly think it's only because of of writing and and um some sort of maybe the attempt at closure that it was and maybe some sort of closure that I've actually gained from it yeah and in a lot of ways too I think even for myself like just being over analytical thinking about that relationship I think is just another way of us trying to please these people and get the, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yes. like, it's just another way that we're trying to kind of like get their attention and rationalize. Why don't you love me? And it's like, yes. I don't need that. Just move on. Just let it be. Oh my what God. It is. I, I have to know when, when you, you say this and around friends is, do you get a lot of like, but you only have one dad Yes. well, but yes. yeah, that kind of, mm -hmm. all the time. And, and they're shocked that I, that I, whenever I say, oh, well, yeah, he's still alive. I just don't have a relationship with, I don't know anything about him. He's not my dad. He's like a distant uncle that I can talk about in third person. Like it's, and it's, <laughs> it's this, it's a strange, it's a strange thing that people, and I think for you in sort of reading the book, I really related to it in a lot of ways, but I also thought like how you, you had to deal with fame and your mother was even hyping you up in terms of you are this character or you are this person or you are this celebrity. And she was pushing, she was also a fan, a really hardcore 
fan in another way. Also, you know, in a parental <laughs> way too, but, and it's, you had to deal with fame on top of all of that. And fame is kind of like another parent in the room that screws with you. And I wanted to know, like, you also talked about in the book, some of the really just gross ways that we treat children, female children, stars, child stars, and the sexualization of young child stars and, and what we do to them. And it's just mind boggling to me. I wanted to know, like, you started acting to please your mother, but then in the process, did you ever find like that you were struggling to also maybe please these other authority figures in entertainment, the directors, the producers, the agents? Did you find that that manifested itself in other areas of your career? Absolutely. I, I feel like it was people pleasing times 10 because mm -hmm. it was, it started the foundational kind of, um, vessel for my people pleasing was my mother but yeah. then absolutely um my you know the producers that i worked with the executives that i worked with um record labels and uh, representation there were a lot of people that i was trying to please who sometimes had differing opinions oftentimes had differing opinions my mom was always yelling at somebody that she disagreed <laughs> with um so trying to kind of know who to please in which moments and navigate that when you're 14 yeah. um it was, it was it was difficult and i i um i i didn't know how to do that i i, I was all i always felt like i was actively disappointing somebody mm. um if not multiple people at any given time and the process of sort of connecting with myself and learning to trust myself and learning to trust my own instincts was a long one, uh, a well-earned one, but one that I I feel like is really important, and I and I hope that's a, a a path that anyone who identifies with being a deep people pleaser, I hope they go on that path. Well, it's also like, I mean, yeah, you're famous and you have this difficult relationship with your mother, but you're also a child. I mean, you're you're going through teenage years, and we have all of the normal angst of like comparing ourselves to others and realizing that others are getting farther ahead than I am, or you're being jealous or whatever it is. And what I, what struck me in the, in the book was like how a lot of times these authority figures would use your own fame and sort of use it as an abusive agent to like, like, like the story about the Tom Hanks charades, Ariana Grande thing that, that, that you write about. And that whole thing about how you realize like you're even getting, they're telling this to you to make you, upset in a lot of ways to like upset you to then get you to do something else i mean is that right like do you feel like that happened a lot i definitely agree that there's a lot of angst naturally when you're at that age yeah. it's just part of being an adolescent it's you're just like just sweating angst yes. um, yeah. right yeah and then fame on top of that and i think what's difficult to recognize or, or was definitely difficult for me to recognize was that the fame piece wasn't normal because yeah. you're also so um, just, you know, um, sort of engaged in the life that's happening to you at that moment. So I was, I was famous and on these kids shows and um, super, super busy and didn't, didn't consider, well, I, I knew of course, well, not everybody's famous. This isn't everybody's experience, but I can't know anybody else's experience. Yeah. Um, so, so really just knowing my experience, it was, it was angst and then amplified by the fame and, uh, and yet the fame piece kind of went unaddressed for a long time because I didn't really consider how much worse that made the angst. Yeah. Did that make sense? 
Yeah, that does make sense. That makes total sense. a little sense. off the rails. Okay. No, but it makes total sense. It also, I mean, you know, you know, you for people who suffer childhood trauma, like a lot of times as an adult, sure there are triggers in our everyday lives, but they we can easily avoid some of the triggers. The normal people, I mean. For you though, you turn on a television and you can get reminded of a childhood trauma. And 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 then and you see yourself in it. And it's it's a very different experience. And I I wanted to know like how how does some of when fans approach you or when someone shares a story about something or they ask, I'm sure people ask you about Ariana Grande or like whatever it is, is that a trigger for you? Do you, do you are you brought back to a time or are you able to sort of move on from that now? Hmm. Now for the most part, when people approach me, it's it's really a completely different experience than it used to be. It used to be a lot of people just being enthusiastic. You know, it's it's absolutely nobody's fault. They just are excited to see somebody from a TV show that they yeah. like. It would be a lot of kind of screaming and, you know, physical touch and pulling um, a lot of really uh, eager parents. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now it's sort of this experience where I've had a podcast for a while and people will approach me and say, oh my God, you helped me come to terms with an eating disorder. Or mm. I listened to an episode of your thing and I, I called a therapist. I never would have done that three years ago. And these, sometimes they'll, they'll cry. Sometimes they'll share a little bit of their story. Sometimes they'll just give me a big hug. And it feels like this completely different connection with the person who's approaching me. It feels really human to human versus um, before where I felt sort of more like an object. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel a lot of relief for how that's kind of um, transformed, but there was definitely a stage in my life where I was, I was triggered by it. I, I, I don't feel that these days, but it was definitely there in, in a, a past version of myself. For sure. There's also the, the, the thing of like, whenever you open up about, or you're honest about something in a very vulnerable way, I mean, be, you know, eating disorder or trauma or whatever it is, in, in a lot of ways, I think people can become like defined by that. That 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 traumatic experience then for other people defines who you are to them. And you're so vulnerable in this book, and you're so open that I think a lot of people can then deduce you to, oh, you had an abusive mom or whatever. And it's 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 more nuanced than that. All the situations are more nuanced than that. So I wanted to know, like, how how in terms of a self care for you to practice adequate self-care, how are you able to sort of have conversations, these difficult conversations about a difficult past and yet still maintain a place of sort of loving yourself and healthy outlook on who you are now and the growth that you've been able to achieve? Mm. The most important thing for me is boundaries, mm. um, boundaries with myself and others, um, mentally, physically, emotionally, environmentally. I, there was a time in my life when I did not know what a boundary was. There was even the time in my life when a therapist suggested that I try implementing some more boundaries. And I said, what is a boundary? Like I, I genuinely, I could understand on the surface, like, oh, I kind of get it, but I, I couldn't think of a practical one to implement. Yeah. It was just so elusive to me. So I did a lot of boundaries um, work and uh, wasn't always the easiest, but I feel much more kind of comfortable with those now. And I feel a, a self-assurance that I that I never could have felt without without good boundaries. Yeah, and I mean, also boundaries for people. I think like you know, for any artist like you, my any anyone who does who talks or does storytelling or who acts or whatever for a living, 
boundaries are a difficult area because so much of like what we do, I think, in our work is based on our life and sharing a part of ourselves in a way. Right. It's like, what's a boundary to us? I don't even know. <laughs> you know, it's, that's that's such a funny point. That's so uh, it's such a good observation because it is. I do recognize that there is irony in me saying, oh, I really have I, I have solid boundaries and I have just written a memoir with a, a huge amount of personal details included. Yeah. But also these were all things that I spent a lot of time processing in therapy. I was in therapy for six or seven years before even going anywhere near um, exploring my my personal life in any sort of a creative or public facing way. So yeah. I absolutely never would have never would have dipped my toe in that water had I not um, done a lot of of um, kind of soul searching privately. Yeah. Yeah. And I find like, I mean, for me in the book, I think one of the most interesting things is for a lot of people, I feel like the juicy parts are like the traumatic years, you know what I mean? And that and that you can say, OK, then when your mom died, everything was OK. And it's like, well, we all know that that's that's where it starts. Like that's where the journey starts is when the thing that is the trigger is away from you. And then you have to do the work, the hard work to be able to find yourself again and to be in a good place with yourself. And I was so moved by that. I was so moved at sort of your struggles after your mom died and figuring out how even, even like in the, the New York times article that came out um, today is of this recording that you talk about how the essays you were writing for, I think the wall street journal, even then you weren't, able to fully open up about yourself, even though you were doing some vulnerable writing. And like, how hard was it for you over those years after your mother's death to go through therapy and to really find like, when when was the moment where you truly felt like, I'm ready to do this? You know what I mean? I'm ready to tell this story, or I'm ready to be to live my version of a normal life. Mm. It was probably a few years ago, I want to say maybe I was 20, 26 or 27. I knew very distinctly, and I talk about this in the book, but on my 26th birthday was where I, I had a very kind of eye-opening moment where I was, I was in a downtown Disney restroom and had purged. And I had been in, in, in quote-unquote recovery for a bit, but as my therapist had told me, slips are expected. They're just kind of a part of the process. Don't let a slip become a slide was kind of his like go-to phrase and was a really helpful piece of information for me. Mm -hmm. But I had this, this moment where I'm sitting there going, I, I don't want to be this in 10 years. I don't want to be this in 15 years. And for me at the time, 26 felt so different from 21. Yeah. And I felt I'm getting older. Like I don't want to, I don't want to have this, um, this baggage anymore. I don't want to be bogged down by this anymore. So that was like a very distinct, moment that I can point out as being, um, in retrospect, I think it was really, really uh, assertive and empowering. But at the time, it just felt like um, it felt more definitive than than recovery had been for me previous to that point. And uh, it definitely was, I see it as I see it now, sort of the, the jumping off point for being able to talk openly about any of this. It really, I think, started then on my 26th birthday. Wow. Well, the thing I wanted to wrap up on is I feel like because, you know, so many people around sort of like our age, maybe a little bit younger have, you know, they grew up with you and they saw your career and everything you've done. And, and, you know, now you are writing this book, obviously, and it's amazing and everyone should buy it and read it and love it. But from here, 
what should like what can people expect from you what what do, do you i mean i know you aren't acting as much anymore these days but do you want to do more of that do you want to direct more like you did with your short film Mm, I would love to write and direct more. I'm actually working on a novel and a collection of essays. I'm kind of uh, working on both at the same time, which has been very nice to be able to switch gears uh, just according to my my sort of whims of the day. Yeah. But uh, I would love to love to write and direct. Like, oh my God. Yeah. That'd be great. You should do yeah. that. I mean, your voice comes through so well in the book, the different types of your voice too, that like you have a real... A real voice that I feel like would be would would oh. definitely lend itself very well to filmmaking. I appreciate that so much. I've actually written and directed, I want to say like five short films at this point, yeah. and I have a couple uh, feature scripts that I have I have written over the past few years, and so I I would love to do something with those at some point if the if the opportunities arise. That'd be yeah. that definitely be very very exciting and and I I think fulfilling for me for sure. I think you're starting that now. I mean, you've already written your book, write your stories, write your own way into it. Like make it your own. And I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I mean it when I say it was a fantastic book and I, I just wish you all the success. Thank you so much. It's been so nice talking to you. What a person Jeanette McCurdy is, and even more so, what a story she has to tell. Could definitely go get the book, I'm So Glad My Mom Died. And I mean, again, that title, it's just its just perfect. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review and maybe share it on social media because that's what the kids are doing these days. I'm one of the kids, I think. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. 